The battle in Ukraine that we see on the news looks First World War retro, a cacophony of machine guns, mortars, and tanks. But those visuals belie what's really going on. This is the most high-tech war we've ever seen, and it's allowed Ukraine to punch way above its weight in cyberspace, and it turns out, in the skies too. Ukraine has MacGyvered recreational drones and turned them into what they call the Army of Drones. They sent a swarm of them into Moscow in late May, crashing them into the wealthy suburbs of the capital where oligarchs and top government officials live. This morning, the Russian capital under attack from a swarm of lethal drones. You can actually see a drone flying over the city as a man points out of his window. The fight is thought to be gobbling up some 10,000 Ukrainian drones a month. And when the war began, Kyiv loosened the regulations that govern the manufacture of drones. There used to be just seven companies that were allowed to build them for the military. Now there are more than 100. And Ukraine isn't just looking to beef up their drone production. They're looking to find people who can fly them, too. Which is why we're returning to an episode we did this winter about Ukrainian women learning to fly drones for the war effort. And we caught up with one, a former model, who was an early adopter. Did you ever want to be like a runway model? No, no, never. This is Marina Harunja. And not long ago, she was a model in Ukraine. You know, the kind of model who ends up in the pages of magazines. Smile. 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 Photographers, they loved me, they invited me, and they loved me uh, to have my pictures. So Marina has long, dark hair, and she looks a lot like the pop star Dua Lipa. And while she's beautiful and willowy and tall, she hates being typecast. People make assumptions about her based on her appearance. Uh, Everybody saw me in that sphere because they said you were created for that uh, and you were born. But I never wanted because uh, uh, my grandfather, he told me, you know, it's good that you have good appearance and good genetics uh, and you were born like a beautiful person. But uh, what you have inside, this is the most important. And what you have in your brain, believe me, uh, first things I wanted in my life is to be smart and then beautiful, really. Which may help explain why Marina found herself doing something really different from anything she'd done before. She was stepping behind the camera to help the war effort by flying drones. It's like some uh, angry bee, you know, (laughs) the crazy bee with some virus inside. I'm Dina Templerast, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, a G.I. Jane story with a distinctly modern spin. We take you inside an unusual school that aims to beef up that whole effort. A school that exclusively trains women to fly drones. It's scary, you know, it's scary when you turn it on. Uh, I I think uh, Russian soldiers must uh, run away only uh, while hearing Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily. 
from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. When the invasion started more than a year ago, Marina was determined to act like nothing out of the ordinary had happened. You know, I I was sitting in the kitchen and I made the tea and I said, "Okay, kids will sleep. Uh, I will just uh, protect the room. They will sleep till they wake up and uh, I will make tea. I will prepare breakfast like nothing happened. Everybody, my mom was looking at me like I was crazy, but I said, no, we will not. No panic will be in our place. People were depending on her to keep her head. Everybody depends on my emotional health, right? So, uh, and and started from that time, from the 24th of February, uh, I've been always like that. So she went about her normal routine, which included this. Ukrainian Fashion Week. You could be excused for not knowing there's a huge fashion industry in Ukraine. In fact, the first Fashion Week was held decades ago, back in 1997. It was the first Fashion Week held in Eastern Europe. And Ukrainian Fashion Week is not just some rinky-dink pseudo-fashion event. It looks like one of those Pret-à-Porter runway shows in Paris. In fact, before the war, it took place twice a year. And it helped launch designers like Ivan Frovlov and Julie Pascal. You've seen Frovlov's creations, but probably didn't know it. He's dressed Beyonce, Gwen Stefani. These days, Frovlov is now making bulletproof vests. And at Ukrainian Fashion Week? Well, Marina got recruited, but not for what you think. Um, it was Ukrainian Fashion Week event. Uh, the uh, director of the show came to me and he told me that I know that you love Ukraine. I know that you are not only beautiful, but you're smart. And then he introduced me to Valery. Valery Borovic. Are, are you wearing body armor right now? Yeah. Um, and do you have to wear that all the time? Not, not all time because I am in, uh, in special forces on the counterintelligence of Ukraine. Not long after the war between Russia and Ukraine began, Valery Borovic had this idea. He wanted to start a drone training program just for women. Because many men go to zero line, go to army. And uh, women can help and want to help for protect of our country. Valery is CEO of Alliance New Energy of Ukraine, And among other things, the company actually manufactures drones. That's from one of the school's promotional videos. 
Valeri's drone school opened its doors last summer. He called it the female pilots of Ukraine. And the way he saw it, both sides of this conflict are looking for ways to beef up their fighting forces. Russia has gone to prisons to recruit convicts and is drafting young men right off the streets. Ukraine? It's leaning on its women. If you can fly all drone, we can, we can see Russia soldier or tanks near our army. So the women can add to the war effort by being eyes for the army. Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's like, like eyes for us. Valery talks to a small group of his students in a field outside Kiev. They're all bundled up against the cold in heavy parkas and snow pants and boots. The wind is howling. Marina says most of the classroom instruction for female drone pilots of Ukraine is outside. And they begin by learning in places far from the war's front lines. We are not on the location when the uh, people are just dying. And uh, we are learning in Kiev, in the capital of Ukraine. Basic training used to last three weeks. The course has now been condensed into eight four-hour lessons. But usually it was fun because we had coffee, some cookies, and we uh, had good mental health, you know. The women learn from professional military drone pilots. Uh, Some of us were pilotings, uh, another were using the map. They start on drone simulators. Uh, We used on the computers, then we had... And if they do well on that part of the training, the group graduates to the outdoor part of instruction. The military drone pilots teach them the basics of controlling the drone, and then they give them a specific location they need to fly to. To the gas station, for example, just wait, make a couple of pictures. Marina, it turns out, is particularly good at interpreting maps to get the drone where it needed to go. For example, if I was checking where the drone goes, so I was standing behind the uh, the pilot and I I would tell that, for example, we, you need to go like uh, straight, then up like 30 degrees or something like that. They're also taught how to drop a virtual pin and mark where their drone might have spotted Russian troops or equipment, or even where it might need to quickly land. That information is later sent to Ukrainian forces or to police nearby so they can plan a response or recover a fallen drone. So far, 100 women have graduated from the drone flight program. 40 have gone into the military, and the school says it has a waiting list 200 names long. When we come back, the expanding role of drones in the battle for Ukraine, and why Marina thinks women are particularly suited to be great drone pilots. And let's just say she thinks maternal instinct comes into play. I think every woman must understand that uh, no matter what happens, she's able to protect her kids, her family, if it's necessary, you know. Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. 
Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Marina lives in Kyiv. She has twin boys, they're 11, and these days she mostly works as an interpreter and translator. She speaks four languages. I'm from the south part of Ukraine. The part she means the Kherson region, the southern part of Ukraine that has been flooded by the recent destruction of a major dam. Where you probably know right now, some places they get rid of uh, Russian soldiers, but uh, they are uh, shooting very often to that place. They are sending rockets. So uh, this is the place where I was born. When she isn't translating things or working or driving her kids around, Marina is finding people to join flight teams at the drone school. Uh, one is the professional model. Uh, another one, uh, she's a volunteer. She's uh, working for Fashion Week. And the th- third uh, girl, she's in showbiz. She is so active, smiling, and uh, interesting, also in- very interesting person. But each uh, woman is so different that... Uh, When we are together, four of us, you know, it's like a flame, some interesting flame, and uh, we can add something to each other. A lot of the women in the program trained to be scouts, it means they can fly drones to pick up the location of Russian positions without ever leaving the relative safety of Kyiv. So I don't have to kill somebody. I I just can... um, learn it very well, and then give the coordinates, and then people will do what they need to do, you know. One of Ukraine's other best-kept secrets, aside from its female drone pilots, is just how much it has MacGyvered plastic off-the-shelf drones to wreak havoc on Russian troops. Why are Ukraine's cheap, slow drones so successful against Russian targets? The soldiers work around the clock, repairing, modifying, and arming consumer drones. The drone attacks on the suburb of Moscow last month are believed to be the work of the Ukrainian intelligence community. Ukraine, it's the symbolic value of striking the Russian capital that counts far more. Ukraine has started strapping grenades and TNT to drones. They've started dropping them on expensive Russian machinery and now apartment buildings and the Kremlin. Valery has publicly denied that this latest attack came at the hands of his freshly minted female pilots. The dilemma for Ukraine is that these drones are basically a flying bundle of communication systems and software, which means they're vulnerable. Russia has taken to transmitting electromagnetic fields above their soldiers that allow them to jam frequencies or send drones off course. They're also using radio transmitters to hijack the drones the women fly. Consumer drones follow whichever signal is strongest, so the Russians can sometimes spoof them into following their directions instead of those of the women. At one point last year, Russian operators began tracking the Ukrainian drone signatures to their source, the pilots on the ground. Once they'd found them, the Russians would call in mortar fire. We understand that if they see us, for example, in the middle of the field of some uh, area, you know, anything can happen. So it was actually dangerous. It became such an issue that Ukraine's Minister of Digital Transformation warned about it on his Twitter page. Marina said it's now part of the drone pilot school curriculum. They never launch from the same place twice. And the Ukrainian drone pilots have started to deploy countermeasures, something they call, appropriately enough, Olga, 
It's a simple black box that plugs into the drone's USB port and scrambles the signal in a way that makes it harder to hijack or locate it. Olga can block Russian system and Russian drones, and they cannot find us. More than a year after the war began, Marina says she's never for a moment considered leaving Ukraine to wait out the war. And while she's not on the zero line, some of her students are. Uh, but uh, girls who uh, has learned after me, they are on the on the east of Ukraine right now. But still, maybe some people don't understand that woman, even uh, the most kind like me, you know, the the, the one who will never uh, do something bad for any insect or something like that, if uh, some invader comes to your country, I, I believe that many people, they just don't realize how strong women are. Now Marina is really using that brain her grandfather loved so much. The one he said so many years ago was the most important part of her. When I start speaking and telling what I'm doing, they say, hmm, really? Are you joking? <laughs> Why do you need that? She needs to do that because she loves Ukraine. This is Click Here. Here are some of the top cyber and intelligence headlines of the past week. The Justice Department has unsealed a criminal indictment that accuses two Russian nationals of being behind the massive Mt. Gox cryptocurrency heist from nearly 10 years ago. The indictment alleges that 43-year-old Alexei Bilyuchenko and 29-year-old Alexander Werner stole 647,000 Bitcoin from the Mt. Gox exchange between 2010 and 2013. They allegedly quietly siphoned off Bitcoin from Mt. Gox wallets and then moved them into the BTCE exchange. Bilyuchenko was also accused of running BTCE with another Russian national, Alexander Vinnik. Vinnik was arrested in Greece while on holiday last year and was extradited to the U.S. to stand trial. Assistant Attorney General Kenneth Polite said Bilyuchenko helped set up the BTCE exchange in part to launder the funds that were stolen from Mt. Gox. Court documents unsealed in the Southern District of New York last week accused Bilyuchenko, Werner, and unnamed co-conspirators of hacking into the Japan-based Mt. Gox computer servers and moving Bitcoin into their own accounts. Mt. Gox went belly up in 2014. Pro-Ukrainian hacktivists appear to have successfully broken into the internet and telecommunications company that's used by banks and online stores in Russia. Infotel released a statement late last week that said the hackers have broken in and actually damaged some of the network's hardware and equipment. The Cyber Anarchy Squad, a pro-Ukrainian hacking collective, claimed responsibility for the attack and said that it had targeted Infotel to complicate financial transactions in Russia. Infotel provides services to Russia's central bank and connects it to local financial institutions and online stores. The hackers also claim to have accessed other valuable data, including a list of Infotel's customers and their email addresses. I'm Dina Templerest. I'm the executive producer and host of the show. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director. Will Jarvis is our producer. And Sarah Wyman is our writer-reporter. The show was mastered by Gabriela Glick. Our editing team is led by Karen Duffin and Lou Wolkowski. 
Darren Ancrum does our fact-checking. And our theme and original music compositions are by Ben Levingston. We also use music from Blue Dot Sessions. And we'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts, or send us an email at clickhere at recordedfuture.com. Check out our website with details about our shows and our whole show catalog at clickhereshow.com. That's a wrap for this week. I'm Dina Templerest. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.